The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Conkey Ride Home for Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, gravity as a possible solution to one major drawback of wind and solar power, and reasons to be cautiously optimistic about our prospects for the climate overall. Plus, the link between physical strength and mental health, and the CDC's Zombie Preparedness Guide. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Electricity production and heat make up 25% of all global greenhouse gas emissions. And as we attempt to decarbonize things like heating and vehicles, it'll make up even more. So figuring out a way to decarbonize electricity itself is crucial. But it's also pretty tricky. Quoting a recent article in Wired, grids with a high percentage of wind and solar power are susceptible to sudden swings in electricity supply. When the skies darken or the winds grow calm, that electricity generation simply disappears from the grid, leaving utilities to plug the gap using fossil fuels. The opposite situation poses problems too. Around 32% of California's electricity is generated from renewables, but on cool spring days when the skies are clear and the winds steady, this can spike to almost 95%. Unfortunately, solar power peaks at around midday, hours before electricity demand reaches its highest level as people return home from work, crank up the air conditioning, and turn on the TV. And since solar power isn't generated late in the evening, this peak demand is usually met by gas power plants instead. All of these problems are down to a fundamental quirk of electricity— it is impossible to store. A spark of electricity produced at a coal-fired power plant cannot stay still. It has to go somewhere. To keep networks in balance, grid operators are constantly matching supply and demand. But the more wind and solar you add to the grid, the more uncertainty you introduce into this balancing act. Utilities hedge against this by keeping fossil fuel power plants around to dispatch reliable energy whenever necessary. Energy storage offers one way out of this bind. By converting electrical energy into to a different form of energy, chemical energy in a lithium-ion battery, for example, you can hold on to that energy and deploy it exactly when you need it. That way, you squeeze more value out of renewable power sources and reduce the need for backup from fossil fuel power plants. End quote. But of course, there are many downsides to lithium-ion batteries, from their construction from rare earth metals to their degradation over time, even if the cost has been driven down significantly in recent years due mostly to demand for electric vehicles. So what about gravity energy storage? Wired recently dug into the concept and highlighted one of several startups around the world working on a possible solution. Swiss-based company Energy Vault will soon be listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and with eight deals signed, they might be the first gravity energy storage company to actually build down a system for a customer. But what is gravity energy storage? 
It's similar to pumped hydro storage, in which water gets pumped to a higher elevation and then run through a turbine to generate electricity, and which was pioneered in Switzerland, on the opposite side of the country from where Energy Vault's prototype is chugging away. Quoting IEE Spectrum, Energy Vaults and their competitors seek to use the same basic principle, lifting a mass and letting it drop, while making an energy storage facility that can fit almost anywhere. In action, Energy Vault's towers are constantly stacking and unstacking 35 metric ton bricks arrayed in concentric rings. Bricks in an inner ring, for example, might be stacked up to store 35 megawatt hours of energy. Then the system's six arms would systematically disassemble it, lowering the bricks to build an outer ring and discharging energy in the process. This jewel-storing Jenga game can be complicated. To maintain a constant output, one block needs to be accelerating while another is decelerating." End quote. And while the design, requiring tons of calculations to account for gusts of wind, pendulum effects, and more, is complicated, the setup is pretty straightforward and cost-effective. The massive bricks can be made out of dirt, or other waste products combined with a binding agent. Energy vaults even used decommissioned wind turbine blades. And the Scottish startup Gravitricity keeps costs down even more. Instead of building the 75-meter-tall tower that Energy Vault drops their bricks from, the Scottish team drops theirs down an old mine shaft. And these bricks going up and down produce huge outputs. Wired notes that a fully-sized version of Energy Vault's prototype might contain 7,000 bricks, and in the 30 seconds it takes for the bricks to descend, they could power several thousand homes for eight hours. At the moment, however, they still can't compete with how low-cost lithium-ion has become, but those in the gravity storage business are urging companies and governments to think more long-term, longer-term than the length of time lithium-ion batteries last for. Whether gravity energy storage really takes off anytime soon or not, alternative solutions like it continue to gain ground and proliferate around the world. Smart solutions like this one abound. As Paul Ford described it in Wired back in September, solutions to curb the climate emergency are kind of feeling like the dot-com bubble right now. Everywhere you turn, there's another startup with another big idea. To quote him briefly, it's Web 1.0 all over again. We're in the Pets.com puppet mascot era of climate. The comedy of the technology industry is playing again as a kind of Ibsenian tragedy. Scientists and academics told everyone about this thing for decades, and almost everyone ignored them. But then, enough people got interested, and now there's a market. And as a result, there are a million business models, a million solutions, huge promises of the change to come. We'll pour everything we have into green energy infrastructure, we'll transact in carbon marketplaces, we'll pull a trillion tons of CO2 out of the air every year. Never mind that today we can do about 0.0005% of that, which rounds to nothing. End quote. And Ford is still right to worry that this could all be bleeding to a burst bubble in the near future. But there is another side. Just before Christmas, James Temple rounded out the year with a little hope in the MIT Technology Review, writing, quote, There's good reason now to believe that the world could at least sidestep the worst dangers of global warming. 
end quote. And one of his biggest arguments towards that optimism is the incredible momentum that we're seeing recently. Quoting again, Given the increasingly strict climate policies and the plummeting costs of solar and wind, we're about to witness an absolute boom in renewables development. The International Energy Agency, well known for underestimating the growth of renewables in the past, now says that global capacity will rise more than 60% by 2026. At that point, solar, wind, hydroelectric dams, and other renewables facilities will rival the worldwide capacity of fossil fuel and nuclear plants. End quote. There's also Finally, momentum in sales and production of electric vehicles, up from 2.8% of all new vehicle sales in 2019 to 7% in the first half of last year. By 2030, a full third of all new vehicle sales are expected to be electric. Temple argues that it's starting to look like the degree of warming that we'll see by 2100 is not the horrifying 4 or 5 degrees Celsius that he and others previously highlighted, but rather a more modest 2.7, or maybe even less than 2 if we work really hard. Quote, Global emissions may have already flattened when taking into account recent revisions to land use changes, meaning updated tallies of the forests, farmlands, and grasslands the world is gaining and losing. Today, if you layer in all the climate policies already in place around the world, we're now on track for 2.7 degrees Celsius of warming this century as a middle estimate, according to Climate Action Tracker. If you assume that nations will meet their emissions pledges under the Paris Agreement, including the new commitments timed around the recent UN summit in Glasgow, the figure goes down to 2.4 degrees Celsius. And if every country pulls off its net zero emissions targets by around the middle of the century, it drops to 1.8, end quote. And there is also the dot-com evocative progress and innovation, quoting again, Researchers and companies are figuring out ways to produce carbon-free steel and cement. Plant-based meat alternatives are getting tastier and more popular faster than anyone expected. Businesses are building increasingly large plants to suck carbon dioxide out of the air. Venture capital investments into climate and clean tech startups have risen to levels never before seen, totaling more than $30 billion through the third quarter, according to PitchBook. End quote. And Temple points out a sense that I've had, which is that as these innovations and clean alternatives become more competitive and business-friendly, the political gridlock could be eased in some cases as well. And even though extreme weather events are becoming much more frequent and severe, we are doing better at predicting them, keeping people safe, and recovering from them, even if it doesn't always seem like it. Now, with all of that said, that doesn't mean we can rest on our laurels. The point of this article was to soothe people's climate anxiety just a tiny bit, to make sure that your absolute existential horror doesn't manifest as destruction or inaction, and to instead reinvigorate you with a bit of hope. Because make no mistake, this is still very much an emergency that will require cooperation from every nation, though Temple correctly points out that rich nations that have emitted the most greenhouse gases need to be providing financial assistance to bolster low-income nations' defenses against what's to come and what's already happening. Even the good news that Temple laid down above, that we probably won't hit 4 or 5 degrees of warming, but just 2.7 or maybe 1.8 if we're really lucky, that's not a good outcome. It's better than all-out extinction, but 2 degrees of warming still means exponentially more days of extreme heat, drought or flooding, habitat loss, famine, and so much more. 
And there's also a chance we've underestimated some of these impacts or that they compound on one another to make situations worse and the unfortunately quite likely scenario that nations will backtrack on their climate commitments. As Temple puts it, quote, the world is still dramatically underreacting to the rising risks of climate change, end quote. But if you're someone who is consumed by fears about the climate emergency, allow yourself this little respite of marginal optimism. As Temple put it, quote, we need more activist pressure and more aggressive climate policies to confront the threats of climate change. But ultimately, we must invent and build our way out of the problem. And the rare bright spot of good news is that we're beginning to see evidence that we can. End quote. Because I am an unrelenting nerd, I own a sweatshirt with an illustration of a barbell that has several books on each end instead of weights, and it says, I lift hardcovers. But according to science journalist Caroline Williams, maybe simply lifting those hardcovers and not reading them is all I really need to do to be mentally strong after all. Maybe not smart, necessarily, but at least, quote, mentally capable and emotionally resilient, end quote. In an excerpt from her new book, Move, How the New Science of Body Movement Can Set Your Mind Free, Williams expounds on the links, both presumed and proven by many studies over the decades, between physical strength, and a healthy brain. Williams first points to a study from 1988 showing that teenage girls who increased their physical strength with a three-month weight training regimen also showed marked increases in confidence and in their conflict resolution skills. Plus, quoting the excerpt in Literary Hub, studies that followed people over decades found that muscle weakness is linked to a greater chance of dying from any cause, regardless of whether you are carrying too much fat and independent of the amount of cardio you may do. There's also a link between bodily strength and a healthy brain. A 10-year study of twins showed that greater strength in middle age is linked not only to more gray matter, but also to a better functioning memory and a quicker brain a decade later, while grip strength, an overall indicator of muscle power, is associated with a healthier hippocampus. More important, perhaps, is how physical strength makes you feel. Strength training has been shown pretty conclusively to make life feel significantly more manageable, boosting self-esteem, and helping people feel capable of meeting physical and emotional challenges. End quote. Williams compares our musculoskeletal system to a car, particularly a car with an AI assistant like Kit from Knight Rider. It's constantly updating our brains on the state of our muscles, bones, and other parts of the body involved in movement. If there's a problem with any of those systems, we'll have a constant chatter of mission reports humming in the background of our brains functioning, wearing out our energy and giving status reports that we aren't capable of certain things, whether that be a real physical safety concern or being translated psychologically into feelings of anxiety and low self-esteem. Williams points to further research showing that people who do more physical activity score higher on a scale of global self-efficacy, and that people who underwent weight-bearing exercise regimens specifically to treat anxiety did see a reduction in that anxiety, plus a boost in their self-worth and an improvement in their sleep. And I'm just extrapolating here, but I would think since so much of the mental benefits here have to do with your own sense of self and confidence, that the types of strength training and amount one does should also be relative to one's own abilities. 
So this isn't like you must bench X amount in order to feel less anxious and live longer. Just consider how you can add a little strength training, whatever that means for your body, into your regular routine. And maybe that means doing some CrossFit level intensity workouts, or maybe it means lifting a stack of hardcover books over your head a couple of times a week. At least you'll have a new use for all those books you bought at the start of the pandemic and still haven't read. Well, speaking of brains, I think I've maybe seen this before, but thanks to a viral TikTok from actor and writer Ryan Ken about how the CDC would respond to a zombie outbreak, it's resurfacing again. So back in 2011, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published a short graphic novel called Preparedness 101 Zombie Pandemic. The story follows Julie, Todd, and their dog Max as a mysterious disease spreads around the world that turns people into zombies. And as its main function is to teach readers about emergency preparedness, there's a real preparedness checklist included at the back. You get a few on-the-nose moments of the characters checking the CDC website and gathering items for a go-bag. Really, though, the most unbelievable part of the story was how immediately the public accepted vaccinations as a solution without any pushback. And seeing as this was published over a decade ago when many of us never dreamed we'd experience a pandemic of this scale, it really put our present reality into stark relief. But anyways, yes, it turns out the CDC has addressed what to do in the case of a zombie outbreak, and you can download a PDF of the comic at the link in the show notes, where I will also put a link to the aforementioned TikTok. Well, that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.